and welcome back. We have Sarah behind the camera. Hello. Lewis over here. Buenas, Sarah. Our producer. <laughs> and we are in the highest point in Rome today. Um, the Bible reading for today is from Romans chapter 6, and I'll be reading from the NIV. <clears throat> what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. But we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. But we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Good morning. We're almost home. We're not there yet. We're almost home. We're not there yet, but we know where we're going. 
Welcome uh, to Windsor District Baptist Church. My name is Jonathan Hoffman. It's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here at WDBC. Uh, we're grateful that you could be here with us this morning. It's my privilege to open the Word of God today, and I pray that the Spirit of God is speaking to you as we come to His Word. I want to share a story with you that's uh, a bit embarrassing. It's always a bit risky to start like this. Uh, as many of you know, I spent some time in Washington, D.C. a little bit before, uh, before I got married. And I was living as a single man about 3,000 miles away from where I grew up, and I found this share house with other Christians. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever lived in a share house as a single person. Anybody, anybody done that? Been that experience? Yeah. I hope your experience is better than mine. Um, so I was, with these, I was with these other Christian guys, and that's when I really learned that men often act like slobs. <laughs> and you're sort of used to your slovenliness, but when you're with other men in their slovenliness, uh, and again, not all men, but, but uh, it's eye-opening. But the Lord delivered me. Uh, I, I, met, I met Joanna, and we got married, and uh, we, had a, we had a lovely, lovely uh, honeymoon time away, and we came back, and my job was, was in the heart of D.C., and it was quite a hectic job, quite a busy job, and I remember I was a bit tired, I was a bit stressed, and I'd take the, I'd take the metro to work, and, you know, I was in that routine, locked in every time, and, and I took the metro, and I, and, I, and I got off the metro, got in the car, and I drove to my old house and went up to the front door to go in. Problem was, that's not where I lived. Now, that's not true. I never did that. Some of you are looking at me like, what? Right? I, that's not true. But I, I tried to share it with you like it was true because it's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Wouldn't it be so totally mind-boggling if I walked up to the front door of these four guys? I've married this lovely woman. We've had this great time away. We, 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 we come home. We've set up our home. We're living together. And I just decide one day to turn up to my old stomping grounds with my four slovenly friends. <laughs> Yet I wonder if that describes for many of us our Christian walk. You have got away with Jesus. You have covenanted with Jesus. Before God, you've been united with Christ. You have this wonderful, beautiful relationship. You're setting up home with him. But then one day, for whatever reason, you go knocking on the old door. Maybe you've moved back into the old house. And you're thinking... I don't know if I can go back to live with Christ. We're in Romans chapter 6, and this is going to talk a lot about our relationship to sin, but this whole series is uh, about what it means to be a part of this transformed community. The church is not a, simply a civil organization. It's not, a, it's not a, a place to get just sort of self-help, a place that's meant to kind of breed good people. It's a transformed community. It's a changed community. Last week, Pastor Eddie talked about the fact that we are a new community under different lordship. We live under the reign of grace now. We don't live under the reign of sin and death. 
Today we're going to see that being a part of this transformed community is because we're, we're changed because we have a new life. Just like I got a new life <laughs> after I got married. Romans 6 is going to tell us that we're dead to sin, but the title of this message is not just that we're dead to sin, it's that we're alive to God. We're dead to sin, but we're alive to God. Uh, last week, if you weren't with us, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, Pastor already taught us that the universal consequences of the fall have been comprehensively overcome by the universal consequences of the cross, Jesus' death, his suffering for us. The bottom line is that grace had conquered sin comprehensively, and so now, again, the but now, the, the now for us, the new now, is that we live under the reign of grace. I hope you were encouraged as we looked at that last week. Today we're going to tackle that question that many of us, if not have asked before, have at least asked internally, which is, does grace make it okay for us to keep sinning? If I'm living under the reign of grace, am I allowed to keep sinning? Do I keep sinning? Put another way, we'll come back to that. Put another way, the question is, does grace condone sin? And if so, why or why not? Is our sin sanctioned under the reign of grace? And kind of the broader question is, as Christians, what's our relationship to the reign of grace? Now, we've heard the good news. The good news is that now, but now God has interrupted human history to offer us a gift, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. It's available for anyone and it's accessed by faith. That's the good news in a nutshell. And grace is this kind of head term we're going to be using. We used it last week. We use it again this week. And Eddie, I hope you don't mind. I just added a couple more words, not because it was wrong, but it just sort of suited my passage better. Uh, so this is, this is about 80, 85% of Eddie's definition, and I added a couple words. Uh, grace, what we're going to mean by that in this message is the undeserved free gift of salvation, justification, righteousness, and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the bit I added all of which results in us having peace with God. So all, all these, the, these massive terms, these massive words, right? Salvation, rescue, justification, that legal term, the legal declaration of our innocence, the actual righteousness, that right standing with God, eternal life, peace with God, all this is wrapped up under that term of grace. So does that mean it's okay for us to keep sinning? Paul's response to that is to say that grace destroys our sin, so how could it ever condone it? <laughs> you put grace in the ring with sin, and grace is going to knock out sin every time. You put grace in the arena with a sword, and sin will get slayed every time. So how can we say that grace would allow sin to live? The two are diametrically opposed to one another, is what Paul's going to say. And the truth for us is that in Jesus, we died to sin so that we could live for God. With that, I'm going to pray and ask God's help as we continue. Father in heaven, would you bless us this morning as we consider our relationship now to sin, now that we live under the reign of Jesus. Father God, I pray that you would... Enable us through the Holy Spirit to see you this morning, to hear your heart for us, and to walk in newness of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now, if you're again new, to, if you haven't been with us in the journey through Romans, you know, Paul writes this letter because everybody needs to hear about Jesus. He writes this letter because there is a new community forming around Jesus. And can I say as a church, you never want to get to that place as a church where we're like, hey, this is who we are. Like, it's just us. If you're ever in a church and it's like, hey, it's just us, isn't it great to just be us? Uh, that's not a good sign. Because the church is always bringing new people in. It's meant to always be growing and shaping and changing. There's always a new community forming. Why? Because Jesus would transform these people, these people that Paul's writing to. He's going to transform them entirely, inside and out. The tangible and the intangible. And all of this, we're going to see in a couple of weeks, it points to, it's kind of the big clue. It's the, it's the clue that this is a part of a transformation that's going to overtake the whole cosmos. It's going to overtake all of creation itself as God brings his kingdom. In this chapter, Paul's going to do sort of three things. He's going to explore what our mindset is under the reign of grace. We're going to say, okay, how do we mentally think about this? He's going to respond to some false understandings of grace, some false applications of it, and he's going to explain our relationship to sin under grace. Now, the context. This is, again, what's going on in the passage. And if, you're, uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up. You might make some notes. This, this is kind of the key to help you understand what's going on in this section. If it sounds like Paul's repeating himself, it's because he is. When I get up to go to church, be it during the weekday or be it, be it, on, a, be it on a Sunday, I know it's going to take me 17 minutes to get here. Now, I can take two different ways to get here, but it's going to take me 17 minutes. Trust me. I've been doing it for eight years. The time's increased, but it's the same. I can come down Richmond Road. I can take Garfield Road all the way to Richmond Road. Hang a right. I live in Riverston, by the way. Hang, hang a right on Richmond Road, head down, get here in 17 minutes. I can go down Windsor Road, cut across Hawkesbury Valley Way, come down George Street. It's going to take me 17 minutes. The scenery is different, but the destination is the same. That's, how, that, that's what's going on here in this passage, okay? Paul's going to take two paths to get his hearers to the same truth. And he's going to do it using two images. So he's going to address a false interpretation of the gospel by calling believers to embrace this new relationship with Jesus, now, he's going to hit this thing on the head using two image, images that illustrate their new life in Christ. Now, these aren't just sort of things Paul's grabbed out of the sky. These are realities. But Paul is going to dive into these realities and explain them in such a way so they understand what it means to have this new relationship with Jesus. And the two images are baptism and slavery. Baptism and slavery. You're not going to hear many talks like this. <laughs> out in the world today. With baptism, Paul's going to show and talk about the life that is given them in Christ. In other words, what happens to them, the life given them in Christ. In his image of slavery, he's going to talk about the life chosen by them in Christ. You see, one is, to use John Stott's phrase, one is about what's happened to them, that's baptism, and the other is about what they are doing and choosing, which is more, which is where the slavery illustration comes in, imperfect though it may be. 
In terms of this message, I can sum it up like this. We need to have a mindset shift towards sin. Now that we are united with Jesus under his reign of grace, I'm going to talk about shifting your mentality about sin. This is going to make no sense to you if you are not united with Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. If you don't see yourself as one with Christ, this is going to sound like a lot of theological gobbledygook that that you have no way of applying. And I would tell you it's impossible if you're not united with Jesus Christ. But there's going to be a mindset shift. Look with me at the first one, verses 1 to 14, as we talk about a shift from death to life, specifically being dead to sin, but alive to God. Let's jump into the text. Verse 1, Paul raises the question, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? I get the feeling Paul's heard this before. <laughs> He's been going around and everywhere he seems to go, the, the, the Jews who don't believe tend to follow him up and some that do tend to really press him on this point. If what Eddie said last week is a true representation of the gospel, that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. In other words, if there is always more grace than there is sin. And if that's the relationship, should we just keep doing the sin so that we just keep getting the grace? And for Paul, this is so preposterous. It's so absolutely ridiculous. That he can't just say no. He's got to say it twice, and he's got to say, let me remind you who you are. Verse 2, he says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And now what Paul does here is he looks at their history. Now, this is the church he's talking to. He understands that these people have confessed that Jesus is their Lord and that they have been baptized. And so he says, hey, let's think about this baptism thing that you did. This is going to be helpful for us. Some of you who may be a bit unclear about what baptism is, I hope you're paying attention here because this is a great place to go to explain and understand what it means to be baptized and why we do it. But notice Paul's logic. He says, don't all of you know, that? don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may may live a new life. Baptism isn't the Christian hoop that you jump through. It's not the spiritual photo op. Baptism is you standing with Jesus. It's you saying, the old me is in the grave and the new me is bound to Jesus Christ. Baptism is about being united with Christ. I want you to imagine that you're walking by, maybe this is Castlebrook Cemetery or something like that. You're walking by. I've been a minister now long enough. I know what the little, what, what the shade means, right? When you look at a cemetery, you see the shade, you see the people lined up. There's a burial that's going on right there. 
I want you to imagine you're walking by that sun shelter and you see an open grave in the ground. And then you jump in. That's baptism. Baptism is a funeral for the old you. Pastor Eddie raised a great point in Sermon of Scripture. He said, how much would you have to love the person to jump in the ground with them? That's what baptism is. Paul says, you stood up and you said, I am not my own anymore and I'm going to die. I'm going to be united with Jesus Christ. It's a burial. But it's not just a burial, it's also a resurrection. Because just as Christ died, so he was raised through the Spirit. And he is now glorified. That is what happens to us. We are dead and buried and we're raised to new life through faith in Jesus Christ. We are united with him. This is what your baptism means. And I encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, this is what Jesus is asking. This is why he's asking you to do it. He's saying, will you identify with me? Will you be buried with me so that you may live with me? This is what he's asking. Can I get a glass of water? <laughs> Thank you, Bruce. I have to keep moving. <laughs> Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, this isn't, John Stott makes a great point here. He says this isn't just sort of the lower parts of your nature as if, as if Christ just, just, just died for the bad parts of, of you. Well, no, Paul's looking back through his logic of Romans chapter 5, and he's saying that we as human beings were either in Adam, right? Either Adam represents us in our humanity, or Jesus represents us in our new humanity. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate it. Thanks, brother. You're either in one or you're in the other. Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. The body of sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. To sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, commentators, really smart people have gone back and forth over what this means to be set free from sin. And I'm, I'm going to go Bible nerd on you for like 60 seconds, okay? Put your hand up if it's too long. <laughs> Bible nerd on you for 60 seconds, okay? Uh, you can translate that phrase, set free from sin, as also justified from sin. In other words, the same word we've been seeing over and over again in Romans 3 and Romans 4 and Romans 5, where Paul says you've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, that's the same word there. You've been justified from sin. Now you can also, just, there's just as much warrant to translate as you've been freed from sin, so how do we take it? The NIV has chosen to interpret it as set free from sin, and that's certainly true. But I think there's, I think there's merit in us considering what it might mean to be justified from sin. And I want you to hear John Stott's words on this. He says, the only way to be justified from sin is that the wages of sin be paid, either by the sinner or by the God-appointed substitute. There is no way of escape but that the penalty be borne. 
How can a man be justified who's been convicted of a crime and sentenced to a term of imprisonment, right? Think about it. You commit a crime. You're found guilty. Stott says, only by going to prison and paying the penalty of his crime. Once he served his term, he can leave prison justified. If they lock you up for 15 years for whatever it is, you've been condemned, you do your 15 years, they release you back into society, guess what? Your sin has been justified. The magistrate has set the penalty, you have paid the penalty, you are now justified from that crime, justified from that sin. So here's what he means. In Jesus Christ, the true penalty of sin, which is death, has been paid. And so therefore, we are justified from that sin. There's no other, this, he's going to come to this in Romans 8 and explain in a lot more detail, but there's no, there's no further legal consequence. There, there, there's no other thing that's going to catch up to us hanging over our heads, right? Anyone who has been died has been set free from sin, or the one who has died has been set free from sin. Who is the one who has died? We know Jesus has died. And through faith in him, we die too. Bible nerd moment over. (laughs) Notice what's true of Jesus is true of us. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The picture is all, all the teeth and the consequence for sin has been paid. If sin was, had some sort of law enforcement department, right? They can't get a warrant out for Jesus. Because the penalty has been paid. And so he walks around scot-free. He is justified before God. That's why we jump in the ground with him. That's why we jump in the grave with him. Because he took our death. He paid the penalty. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. This is the wonder of the gospel. That the one who died would live again, that death wasn't the final answer for our sin. In the same way now, we are to count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Paul says, hey, look at your baptism. Do you remember what that was all about? That was you standing with Jesus Christ. You saying that by faith, by faith, I receive the free gift of salvation, and I accept that he served my sentence. I confess that I will let my fate be bound up with his. And I do that by taking his name. And that's why they call us Christians. We're the Messiah's people. We belong to the Lamb. Remember your baptism. Don't let sin reign over your mortal body. 
And then he's going to begin a transition in verses 12, excuse me, 13 to 14. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. You see, when you are united with Christ, a change so drastic happens that it can only be described in the starkest of terms. You go from death to life. And as Eddie explained so well last week, you might be walking around, breathing air, drinking water, using your legs, arms, whatever. You might be doing those things. But spiritually, apart from Christ, everyone is dead. They're dead because they are cut off from their connection with God. But in Christ, we're brought back to God. And so now that we are united with him, guess what, Paul's saying? Suddenly, all my faculties are animated now. And rather than being chained up and bound up by sin, now suddenly my hands are free. My feet are free. My mouth is free. My mind is free. My heart is free. And Paul says to these Christians, he says, have you thought about looking at your life not as something to be used for your disposal, but as something to be brought to God. That's the first shift. We've gone from death to life. Sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under law but under grace. The second shift that needs to happen is we need to go from one master to another. Now, this is important because in the West, like we recoil at the idea of slavery and there's good reasons for that. But sometimes we think that to be free means to be truly, entirely independent of anyone and anything. But God looks at that and he says, that's not freedom, actually. Freedom is knowing me. Freedom is serving me. Freedom is being bound to righteousness. And that's the logic that Paul's going to do. So we need to recognize our shift. Like Jesus died on the cross, not so you could now live your best life, but so now you could serve God. And that in doing that, that is your best life. He goes again, what shall we say? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? He's sort of asking, you know, it's a similar question. Do we, do we keep on sinning because grace is in charge now? Again, Paul's like, get out of here. <laughs> By no means. Don't you know that when you were offered yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one you obey. Now that, that's a challenging phrase there, isn't it? You want to know who your master is. If you want to know who your master is, what is the thing or who is the one that you lay down your life for? That's why we instinctively know who the fair dinkum Christians are and who, who aren't. It's because everybody knows and understands that in your heart of hearts, in your heart of hearts, those who know the Lord and love him, they, they respond and they lay down their lives to serve him. And so you can blabber on. I could sit here and tell you and I could, I could make your head spin with all sorts of words I've learned about theology. But if you know me and you know that in my heart of hearts I'm not captivated by Jesus Christ, you know I'm a fraud. Why? Because your master is the one that you obey. And so Paul says, 
don't go back to sin. Don't walk up that driveway. Don't, don't knock on that door. It's just going to lead you to death, but obedience will lead to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves of sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that's now claimed your allegiance. Obedience starts in the heart, people. Just like a good marriage starts in the heart. It's not a transactional relationship. So obedience to God, it, it, it arises from a place here. And I think that's why the Bible says to everyone, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. Because if you just simply try to tick boxes for God and wait for him to perform, if you punch in the, the code in the spiritual vending machine and you're sitting there waiting and saying, how come my goodie hasn't dropped yet? God knows that he needs to captivate your heart. Obedience starts from the heart. Notice he says to these Christians, you've come to obey from your heart. I love that. My obedience is never going to be perfect on, in this life. My, try as I might. We'll talk about this next week. Try as I might. I'm, I'm going to fail. I'm going to trip. I'm going to fall. But there is hope for the one whose heart is captivated by Christ. The heart who has his allegiance. You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. It's kind of a, a, a jumbled up phrase, but if I could try to paraphrase for, for you briefly, I would just say this. Paul is saying, he's not saying, oh, now you've subscribed to, to a new lifestyle. Which is sort of how we're tempted to read it. Now, now I subscribe to the Christian lifestyle. Paul says, you've come to obey this this lifestyle that has claimed you. This is why, brothers and sisters, Christianity is not a little toy for you to tinker with until you calibrate it right to suit your personality. The gospel is not, uh, it's not a whole bunch of Legos in a bag that you pull out and you say, I'm going to build this out of that. No, there is a pattern that you've been brought into and it's, it's, it's a pattern that doesn't change. It's been the same. And it starts and the foundation is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's on a foundation of forgiveness and not on works. It's built on a premise that God is worthy of our praise and worship and will be glorified. This is the pattern we've been pulled into. You've been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. I love an il illustration I read in seminary. I was reading some of Jonathan Edwards' sermons, and he gets a bad rap sometimes. The, the Puritans, you know, it was a weird time, right? Puritans, right? But there was some gold in there, man. And, and, and I wish that we as a generation might be captivated by some of the things that they were captivated by. I don't, we don't, we don't want all of it, right? But, but man, at the core. And Jonathan Edwards, in one of, his, one of his messages, used a powerful illustration. He said, you know, how sad it is for the Christian who's had the jail cell unlocked, who's had the chains taken off, and yet chooses to remain in the cell. How pitiable is that person? And that's what Paul's saying. Christ took the chains off for a reason. He unlocked the door for a reason. 
that sin wouldn't be your master anymore. That you would have a choice now. You see, before Christ came along, you didn't have a choice. Sin said lust, and you lusted. Pride said, put yourself first, and you did. Power called, and you sacrificed for it. Greed came knocking, and you, you took as much as you could get. You didn't have a choice. But Christ has come along. He's slayed the dragon. He's unlocked the keys. I mean, he's unlocked the cell. He's taken the shackles off, and he's saying, come out with me. I don't live in this dark place. It's not a perfect illustration, Paul says. <laughs> and as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness that leads to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Now Paul's going to say there's two kinds of freedom and there's two kinds of bondage. You were bound to sin and you were free from the control of righteousness. Righteousness couldn't, as much as the law wants to get you to do what it's, what's right and what's meant to do, it can't get you to do it. You were free from its control. And then Paul asks them, he says, you know, what, what benefit did you reap? It's as if he gets to this final point. He's just saying, hey, let's, let's just think about it for a second. What did it, what, where did all this sin get you? And I know on a Sunday morning when you're in church at 10.30, you're like, yeah, sin got me nowhere. But you know what? 10.30 tonight, when you're worried about the week ahead, when you get in that tiff with that loved one, when you're confronted with the disappointment, when you've been waiting for things to change and they've never changed, when you're trying to feel alive, but you don't feel alive, that's when you need to remember this. Can I tell you, this is not just true it's at, at 10.30 on a Sunday morning. I want that question echoing in your ears and in your heart all week. When you are tempted to offer yourself and put your body into captivity to sin this week, when temptation calls, I want you to hear the word of God asking you, what benefit did you get from this? Where has that led you? It's only led you to shame and destruction and guilt. And death. Well, says so that's the end of that road. But now you've been set free from sin. You've become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. The result is eternal life. I mean, the stakes, they can't get any more drastic. But lest, Paul, lest Paul's audience be, be tempted to think it's about what they do, he brings them right back to the reality in verse 23. And he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A wage is not a gift. A wage is earned. We earned death, but the gift that was bestowed upon us is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Try to bring this home in three ways. 
This text calls us to share in the Son's love. I get it. We look at a Jesus who died. We look at a Jesus who was rejected by the world, and we say, the world's going to reject me too. I don't know if I want to jump into an open grave. I feel good outside doing what I want. But there is so much love in the Son, and the grave, the dying to self that happens for the Christian right now is not the end of your story. As Paul would say, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that what I have entrusted to him, he will give back to me on the day. And if you give your life to him, what will he give back to you on the day? He will give you your life, but a life touched by the hands of the Savior, a life transformed by God himself, tenderly, compassionately, washed and cleansed and rebuilt and recalibrated to last for eternity where there is no sin and tears. Goodness me. Oh, would you share in the love? Secondly, seek to live this new life. Brothers and sisters, what is, what is on offer to you is a different kind of existence. Some of us need to turn the page. Some of us need to, 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 to draw a line. And we need to say, I'm not going to go back and rehearse act one. I'm going to move and live in act two. Come on in, kids. So good to see you. Seek to live the new life. Ask yourself, Sorry. The older I get, <laughs> and I need your help in this, the older I get and the more, the more I'm in this role, the more I'm aware of my own failure and, fall, and failing, and the more urgent I feel the burden and the conviction of the truth of the gospel. And so, for me, that has meant a fragility, a vulnerability before you, which I pray is not a distraction to you, because it's not about me at all. But I'm being honest with you, because some of us run away from our weakness, and we do everything to cover it up. Or to insulate ourselves and to say, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to, be, I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to secure myself. But what I'm hearing the Lord say, what I feel what he's been telling me, and maybe he's telling you some of this is, what if I'm in the weakness? That means if we're going to serve our new master, we need to go to the weakness. We need to be in the weak place. We need to get to that point where we say, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how it's going to come together. I don't know how I'm going to secure myself. I don't know where, where these needs are going to come from. You're going to have to put yourself in a posture of dependency upon the Lord. 
The bottom line is this, Jesus came like us so that we'd become one with him and that once united, we become like him. Do you get that? He took on flesh so that you could be united with him, so that being united with him, you could then be transformed into his image. And so death frees us from what we were and his life empowers us to become what we couldn't be. Namely, this is obedient people who glorify God. You can't have Jesus and have the world that hates him. Let his light lead you out of death. So I want to ask you three questions here. Have we tired of the wages of sin? Are you just over it yet? The next question, have we received the gift of God? Have you taken that? Have you accepted that? And you might say, how do we receive the gift of God? The book of Revelation, chapter 3, describes Jesus knocking on the door of a church. He says, whoever opens the door and lets me in, I will come in and I will make my home with them. We receive the gift of God like we open a door. We can't make the gift appear. We can't earn eternal life, but we can make ourselves available to it. We do that through faith, by taking God at his word, by confessing Jesus as Lord, by believing what God says, by believing in the kingdom come. But there is a pathway that has been sort of set for us, for the church. Since the church began, really, you could hear it in Peter's words on the day of Pentecost when people who were cut to the heart, they said, what must we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. And so I put a QR code on this slide. This is a form you can fill out or you can save it, put it for someone else if you're, if you're if you don't want to hold up your phone to the screen, you can scan the code in front of you. Go to the sermon slides. It's one of the last slides. Right? But Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before the Father in heaven. Baptism isn't a Baptist idea. <laughs> it's Jesus' idea. And so I just want to say to you, if you're ready to hold your funeral, if you're ready to say, you know what, I'm done, this guy's out of here. This lady, she gone. And I'm ready, I'm ready to just hitch my wagon to Jesus. I don't care if you're young or you're old, whoever you are, if that's you, you scan this code, we will follow up with you. You might be unsure, you might have questions, scan the code, there's a box for that. You might just want to talk with a pastor, scan the code, there's a box for that. This is the invitation. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the new life that is offered us in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would strengthen us through the power of the Spirit. We pray that we would know the joy of being united with him.
thank you that his death enables our death so that his life will enable our life. And all God's people said, amen.